Hi, my name is Martin Purnell and welcome to Off Grid Christianity, a weekly podcast for those who go or don't go to church and for those that are disillusioned. This podcast series is to encourage via conversation and not necessarily change your mind prior to listening. You can contact us as well by email ogc at accessradio.biz, biz is spelt B-I-Z, and check out our Facebook page, Off Grid Christianity. So please enjoy today's guest, a gentleman who has written two books, Unlocking the Growth, You Will Be Amazed at Your Church's Potential, and the sequel, Creating a Culture of Invitation in Your Church. Our guest has been developing Back to Church Sunday and has delivered many seminars as a result through the English-speaking world to thousands of church leaders. Our guest is also the Executive Director of God and the Big Bang. But what exactly is God and the Big Bang Project? How do you unlock your church's growth? How difficult is it to invite someone in the first place? Wow, so many questions. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to Off Grid Christianity today, Michael Harvey. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Where are we speaking to you from today, sir? I'm speaking from Saddleworth, um, which is uh, just above uh, Grace Manchester, in disputed territory between uh, Lancashire and Yorkshire. Ooh. And being a Lancastrian, I, I insist it's Lancashire, but most of the people who I go to church with insist it's Yorkshire. So um, <laughs> it, it depends on the day, doesn't it, really? Yeah, it does. So you're a Red Rose fan then as opposed to a White Rose fan? Oh, definitely red rose. All red. All red. <laughs> Great stuff. Well, listen, if you're sitting comfortably, let's go for it. Five questions to ask you, just so we can get a better flavour of who you are, sir. So, question number one. If you could invite anybody from history for an evening meal, alive or dead, so that you could ask them questions, who would it be? I think I, I, Nelson Mandela comes comes to mind, mm-hmm. mainly because, you know, kind of he, you know, was imprisoned away from the world for such a long time and there appears to have been a incredible transformation of his character you know during that period of time yes and so i i'd love to ask him about you know the process of transformation in his life because you know it's this unusual thing that you know we think sometimes suffering and incarceration and imprisonment are you know kind of a really really bad things which yes. of course in many cases they are but in his case something happened to him which then went on to impact you know kind of the uh the world in which you know he then emerged into yeah it'd be interesting to know more about his christian faith as well i would have thought there's definitely something there wasn't there yeah definitely kind of something happened to him and yeah. and so you know that it would be, it would be fascinating and i'm you know particularly interested i've always been interested in in reading outside you know kind of of you know normal christian authors and so i'm not sure mandela would have necessarily you know kind of um, said anything uh, about his own christian faith or whether he had one but something happened to him mm. that's my interest there yeah, great answer. Well, if you were ever able to organise it, let me know. <laughs> yeah. Krista, thank you. Question two. Who is your favourite biblical character or favourite biblical story or favourite parable, please, Michael? I think, you know, Moses is somebody I resonate with, you know, pretty strongly. Oh, OK. And, you know, he, he basically kind of uh, was handed over from his real biological parents into uh into a palace you know situation yeah he then you know had within him a real 
leadership quality, which perhaps he used in in the wrong way. You know, he saw an injustice and started to do something about it, which then led to 40 years of, you know, exile. But then, you know, God, God found him, you know, and God was looking for him and God needed Moses. And that whole journey, you know, even the before we kind of get to leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, mm. it's it's the kind of the origin story of Moses, which is so fascinating that actually out of absolute catastrophe, you know, something magnificent can emerge. You know, kind of if the you know the the, the Bible stories you know are leading us to believe that there was a decimation of the the boys, and Moses you know, survived, you know, the, the one survivor, perhaps, of that, you know, that cohort of Hebrew children. And yet, from that disaster, incredible, yeah. you know, things emerged. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Which part of your life to date, do you think resonates the most with what Moses went through? Uh, you know, you introduced me as, as Michael Harvey, uh, but that was not my given name at birth. Ah. And so, it is the origin story. It is, you know, when you come from a situation where you never knew your father until much later in life, never lived with your mother, you know, you think, well, can anything good, you know, come from that, you know, kind of situation? And so, you know, it's the it's the origin story of how sometimes God uses not the, the confident, not the capable, he uses the, sometimes the available. He uses kind of, you know, from a barren situation, mm -hmm. you know, God gives birth, you know, to things. So I guess that's how it kind of resonates, you know, with me. Are you willing to talk a bit more about that at all? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, because you've actually just said something there about father as well, because you know, I could talk about my, <laughs> my backstory as well. What happened in yours, good sir? Well, my uh, father um, uh, came across from Jamaica one of the last of the Windrush. Okay. And, you know, when it came, you know, in many respects, you know, kind of uh, Britain at that time was looking for people. And he came across and, you know, the whole idea of, you know, paved with gold, yeah. you know, of, um, was not, you know, kind of what he found. And it was a very, very difficult time. Anyway, he met my mother and she got uh, pregnant out of wedlock, an old term. Yes. And that did not go down well. And and essentially kind of, um, I won't go through the full story, yeah. but basically kind of um, he was forced to walk away. And then I didn't um, find him uh, until I was 40 years of age. Wow. So I was brought up basically kind of in a white family, uh, not knowing I had a Jamaican heritage. And so that was all kept, you know, kind of very secret. So it was only, you know, at 39 years of age that I re, um, or I found him. Wow. So, so yeah. Wow. Where did you find him? Bizarrely, if I had looked in the telephone directory, I would have found him very easily. He was actually always only living around about 30 minutes away wow. from where I lived all the whole years of my, uh, of my life. So you might have passed him in the street or something. I might well have passed him. Might well. Wow. So what happened when you met him then? It was a Saturday morning. I knocked on his door and um, 
And the first thing I saw of my father that he, I'd got him up early on a Saturday morning. He was in his stripy pajamas. And was the door going to open or close? And the door opened. And and then, you know, for the next, I guess, uh, 18 years or so, uh, he never stopped talking. Uh, he was a talker. He could talk. Wow. And, um, you know, he just told me of the, you know, the pain of the difficulties, you know, as a young Jamaican man coming into uh, into England and some of the messages of couldn't go in certain shops because, you know, they wanted to keep blacks out, yeah. etc. And so he was not made to f feel welcome. Um, and then, you know, when he had a child, um, he wasn't allowed to be around, you know, that child. So a lot of pain, uh, there, a lot of hurt. What did you actually say when the doorbell rang or you knocked on the door and he opened it? I said, um, um, hi, my name's Michael. Are you you Auric? Um, did you have two children? One called Michael, one called Gary. Uh, many years ago, my name's Michael. What did he say? The chain was on the door, you know. So he yeah. it peered around, and you know, was the chain going to remain there? Was the door going to open? And he um, he opened the door, and let the chain go, and and yeah, and just it welcomed me in, and and said, wow. You know, wow. And and then he just told me of, you know, the the story, you know, from his perspective, the story of of how he had to walk away. Wow. And then of course the next episode would be going back to tell your family that you've made contact. That's right. That's right. You know, and and then to discover the Jamaican side, yeah. you know, of the family. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I'm asking is I, I've got a similar experience. Which I won't go on to on this on this program, but how did it go down with you? Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I was you know delighted you know to find my father you know at such a late stage in my life, yeah. and uh, my mother had died much earlier. My grandmother, who brought me up, had died, so that side of the family you know had died off, and so to kind of find you know kind of your uh, blood relative was a really kind of fantastic thing and i just you know so curious you know so curious about you know his his upbringing his journey you know to england and then then to be able to introduce him um, mm. to my uh, to my kind of family my children my wife and then to discover that he had 12 siblings and so therefore you know the introduction uh, gradually you know to to some of them and to their children and to discover that, you know, kind of that there was this wider, you know, kind of family and, you know, some of who remembered me, you know, because I was taken away from them yeah. as well as yeah. my, as my father. Wow. Very quickly, then we'll go back to the questions if that's right, the five, but it's, it's brilliant. You can share this. And I said in our, our email that I'm often amazed just how we go off in a different direction. Looking back at that time when you met your dad, there must be times when you're going, but I do that, he does that, I do that, the similarities, you know, the quirks, whatever you want to call it. What comes to mind that, you know, you've picked up from him that you didn't know about? I, I think, you know, kind of he was an adventurer. Anybody leaving from one country to another country, you know, leaving, you know, your home behind, your family behind, there's a little bit of that, you know, in me in terms of, you know, wanting to discover new things you know, new horizons all the time, not being satisfied, 
you know, with where with where I am. So, mm -hmm. so that is there. Also, I'm told I look like him, you know, kind of very difficult, you know, to kind of look at somebody else and think, yeah, they're exactly like me. But others say that I look like him as well. And whilst I am a raging introvert, I do have the ability to to speak as well. And yes. he certainly had the ability to speak. And uh, he um, he was known as CB, CB Radio. So yes. it, was, it was always on, always on. That takes me back to the 70s, being on the CB Radio myself. <laughs> 10 yeah. four and all of that. Well, thank you for sharing that. And last question then, have you been to Jamaica yet? Yes, kind of... Um, Probably I went within, my wife and I and children went within around about three or four years of meeting wow. uh, my father. And so, you know, to kind of go back and have a look at the place from which he came, which is a place called Christiana. And, you know, just look at the uh, the poverty that was there and, and, and the lifestyle. It was, it, was, it was really interesting. Very, very interesting wow. indeed. Yeah. Thank you, Michael, for sharing that. That's incredible. Thank you. No doubt we might talk on something a bit like that later on. Thank you. Meanwhile, back to question three, if that's okay. If you were Prime Minister for the day and could impose new law or change a law, what would it be, good sir? Well, that's a really, a really good question. If I was Prime Minister for the day, I think essentially I'm really interested in helping the development of the economic uh, situation mm -hmm. of the country and so I've often thought if I was to do something else I'd love to be the development person for the greater Manchester area to be able to attract new business new industry to to regenerate areas that have actually kind of become very deprived you know I come yeah. from a deprived area myself and I know how difficult it was you know to actually kind of find one's way and if there isn't kind of uh, uh, jobs and opportunities mm -hmm. there I think it's very very difficult you know kind of for people if I go let's say around the M25 because I do quite a bit of schools work versus some of the areas in the, the the north the aspiration level is sometimes much higher around the M25 than mm -hmm. it is in some of the areas of deprivation in the north and I think it's to do with uh, hope and jobs yeah. and so in a bizarre way, I think, you know, kind of jobs and good jobs give opportunities for people to uh, become, you know, more than they presently are. Yeah, yeah, thank you. You are also allowed to make a frivolous rule that people might think is really stupid, but you're allowed to make a frivolous rule. I did when I was asked the question. I don't know, you maybe want to ban Yorkshire or something like that. What would it be? A frivolous rule. Well, as I come from Saddleworth, I would say, you know, that the end of the debate that Saddleworth is in fact Lancashire and not Yorkshire. And I think I think I'd end the end of the debate. It's it's <laughs> over. It's over. So as Prime Minister today, then please tell me where Saddleworth is. Uh, Saddleworth is in Lancashire, very firmly in Lancashire. No doubt about it. There you go. Despite the fact that still the majority of people think it's Yorkshire. See, I want a Prime Minister that can make bold statements. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> Question four. Outside of family events, what has been your most enjoyable day out, sir? My most enjoyable day out, I would say, was really kind of being taken in by a family once. You know, I, I, I said I came from a pretty kind of a tricky and difficult background, but I, there was a family 
in Altrincham who basically kind of lavished their kind of uh, love on me mm-hmm. and invited me on holiday kind of with them. And I just kind of remember this absolutely gorgeous day at the beach. They fed me, they, you know, were there, you know, kind of for me. And I just remember really, you know, just a lovely, just a lovely, lovely day of this is what, you know, kind of family, you know, could be yes. like. So that, you know, I would have been around 19 years of age there. I mean, I'm a, there's been other lovely days as well, but that immediately kind of jumps to mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great answer. Thank you. Final question then on this particular segment. What's been your most embarrassing moment to date, please? My most embarrassing moment to date? That's a very, very good question. I would say uh, my most embarrassing moment is uh, is often... Uh, speaking in front of people who essentially kind of know more about a subject than I than I do. I, I can remember I, I had to kind of go and speak to clergy chapters. Uh, for those who don't know what clergy chapters are, they're groups of Anglican clergy who gather together. And what people don't normally know about them is uh, that's when they moan the most. You know, kind of when they're mm. when they're t- when they're together. And sometimes when they get an outside speaker, you know, they absolutely can take that speaker apart. Yes. And it's, it, you know, you come away thinking, what on earth, you know, was, you know, was that, you know, all about? And, and I, I've learned from those, really learned from those opportunities, but they, they can be very, very embarrassing. No, is that what you mean? I think it was Pope Francis, wasn't it, who said a couple of years ago that he would like to get all these equivalent of Anglican chapters or the theologians that actually talk about things that are really important but in the actual Christian life that aren't and just put them on a desert island and come back in a week's time to see what they come up with yeah yeah same sort of thing listen thank you Michael for that before we go in then to you know to your book writing and the Big Bang project in light of what you shared earlier on how did you become a Christian because it must have been really difficult with what was going on in the family lifestyle being brought up by your grandmother. So how did that happen, good sir? Well, interesting. I probably was around about seven or eight years of age. And one Sunday morning, uh, my mum knocks on the door. I lived around the corner from my mum because I live with my grandma. Yeah, yeah. And she said, you know, would you like to come uh, to church with me? That's my memory anyway. She probably said, get your coat, you're coming. <laughs> and And that was it. You know, eight eight years of age, I started to go to church, you know, with my mum. And uh, she'd come to faith uh, through uh, that church. And, you know, little did I know that three years later, I was going to find the youth leader, uh, who's called Frank, who was going to become my spiritual father. And and boy, did I need, did I need a father? So that, that was the beginning of the journey just a knock on the door you know and an invitation to church by my mum it's great to hear you know you had like a spiritual father i think quite a few of us can look back in in the life and say yeah there were certain people there that took me on, on board and me in particular to help me out on, on my way and i take it then from what you're sharing this could be like the the springboard as to why you, you go around the world to the english-speaking nations talking about how to get people back into church so how did that process evolve so basically, kind of, I, you know, the first 20 years of my working life, 
after leaving school, having failed my O-levels, failed my A-levels, failed to get into university, unemployed for six months. Mm. And then after 10 years, I'd started a company with somebody else's money, which then got acquired by a financial services company in the city of London. And I became a director of that business. After 20 years of that, I was approached by the diocesan communications director in Manchester with an idea about a welcome Sunday and hadn't been named at that point. And she said to me, Michael, if, if I look after the media side of this thing, she said, would you, you know, look after the clergy? Well, little did I know I got the rough end of the stick on that uh, particular deal. Yeah, and that's how it began. It wasn't my idea. You know, it wasn't the name wasn't my idea. I thought it was a welcome Sunday, you know, what it was, you know, kind of I was being asked to talk about. But in fact, it was really none of those, none of those things. Mm. So that that's how, you know, it began, you know, kind of very often I develop other people's, you know, ideas, you know, implementation of ideas. I think it's one of the kind of, you know, it's my observation, it's one of the missing elements of Christianity is implementation. We talk a good story, but we don't yes. actually implement. Come back to that word in a minute, but it's very interesting what you're sharing because in my own particular life, I can look back at it, I too was involved in the financial sector having left school and everything else like that. And I can now see how God's hand was on me, even though I might not have been a Christian until I actually became one in my mid-twenties, albeit reluctantly, as I keep saying. And from that, that was my springboard to go into what God wanted me to go into. So what about yourself then? How can you share on, on that as to where God was taking you all this time and what you can look back on? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, part of the remarkable journey here is, you know, having left school with nothing, and being employed for six months, then re literally, you know, between 12 years later, founded a company with somebody yeah. else's money. And what had happened... Sorry, what were you actually doing in this company? What was it? I'd noticed that I could potentially bring two industries together. You could bring the insurance industry together with mm -hmm. the consumer electrical industry. So I was working in the consumer electrical industry, TVs, videos, selling to wholesalers. And I noticed that insurance companies were settling insurance claims with cash. And it was the days where, you know, kind of the price of televisions were tumbling, you know, every yeah. six months. So, you know, if you claimed a television five years previous, well, you could probably get it for half the price. And so I decided that actually the insurance industry, you know, could replace those goods. And so I approached insurers with the idea and that's how the beginning of the business uh, started. So with somebody else's money, cause I didn't have any money. I came from uh, two up, two down. No, you know, there's no, no money in my family, but I developed it till eventually it got acquired by the largest insurance brokerage uh, in the world. And I became a director of that business. And, what, and I think what I learned during that process was really the title of my first book, which was, It's God That Gives Growth. W what I mean by that, the title is Unlocking the Growth. Mm. 
so growth's there growth is always there always there something's locked it down something's locked it down and i had an eye for where the locks could be what was stopping things growing and if you can actually kind of highlight where they are um and help people to other people to see where they are there is the possibility that if you can release those locks growth wouldn't just naturally come you didn't have to work that hard you just had to work out where the locks were that's all so yeah so i don't believe i don't believe in church growth i think it's rubbish absolute rubbish church growth but what i do believe is that you can unlock growth so yeah wow well that's a great statement i am all is because the number of times we hear i don't know from the pulpit or from books but uh, let's get the growth going in church let's pray for revival and everything else like that and you're actually turning it around slightly so explain more please good sir yeah i i suppose you know there's this kind of uh, success thing kind of going on in churches which is mm. all about growth 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 now it's not that i'm not interested in of course i i am absolutely 100 percent interested but it's almost as if we're trying to help God out, you know, kind of, you know, we do things to help God out. And that's where the growth, you know, mantras, are, you know, are sometimes, you know, coming from, you know, do do these things and growth will come. I, you know, want to actually challenge that idea. It's God that gives the growth. You know, we're, you know, it, God's in mission, you know, and very mm. often because of free will, God will not go further than we have actually kind of determined because he won't go across our free will. Yeah. And so therefore, very often, there are very good reasons why growth is stopped to do with us. And so therefore, it's trying to actually unpick those things. You know, so, you know, take the area of, of you know, invitation. Every, every church I know in the West calls themselves welcoming welcoming it's a welcoming church you yes. know what the word welcome is everywhere you know on the outside of the church you know the in the porch you know etc we're welcoming as long as people get themselves across the threshold of a church and by the way i don't just mean building there but when i mean invitation i'm not just meaning church as building i want to make that clear but what we're rubbish at is inviting and so there's a lock there. There's clearly a lock mm. there. You know, we're proud of our welcome. Absolutely proud. But how welcoming are we if we're not inviting? You know, it's a, it's, it's a ridiculous thought. Absolutely, Martin, a ridiculous thought. But I, I cannot get our churches to concentrate on this. You know, we've got so many other things, other good things you know, that we want to, you know, if only we kind of improve our acts of worship, if only we make our worship brilliant and etc. If only we had a smoke <laughs> machine for the yeah. band to make it look like a rock concert. Yeah. 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 You know, so we're concentrating on the number two reason why Christians don't invite, which is, you know, well, what would I invite somebody to? That's the number two reason why Christians don't invite but we have an invitational God, you know, we have an invitational God, you know, there is something not, not going right in that. Area. There's a lock, there are locks there. 
And, and I truly believe that if we can concentrate on what the locks are, we find something magnificent under the locks. Magnificent. It is not just about people out with of Christianity. This is about what God is wanting to do in us. Mm. So my opening gambit, where I say that it's for, for those that go to church or don't go to church, and for those that are disillusioned, how does that resonate with you in relation to uh, what you're trying to do here? Well, I think uh, at times the church itself is a mission field. So that we have attendance Christianity going on right now. Yes. And we're supposed to be followers. Do not like at times having Christianity as the word religion attached to it. We'd rather say it's relationship. And, and yet I'd see very few signs that it's relationship, that it's about following. I, I see very few signs of that. And it's easier, I believe, to have a God conversation out with of a, a Christian community at times than it is inside, because we're very highly guarded. Mm-hmm. We're, very, we're very locked in, in some way. And so I'm interested both in and outside of the church, whatever we want to call that. I'm interested in what is locking down individuals inside and what's locking down individuals outside. Could it not be, Martin, that just because we have attended church for 30 years, we, we call that 30 years of experience, well, could we not have just repeated the same year 30 times? Yes. Could it not be that? You know, so I'm calling us from away from attendance. We've, we have had a generation of Christianity, which is about attendance. At this point, I want to quote G.K. Chesterton. He said, Christianity hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and therefore not tried. So I'm interested in the practice of Christianity Monday through to Saturday, not just the attendance on a Sunday. And and I'm hearing myself and I'm thinking, am I sounding too harsh or judgmental? You know, no, I, I want, you know, people to become who they're meant to be mm. in Christ. And I think we've lost our disciples, those who are able to help people discover parts of themselves that God has placed there for them to discover. Yeah, yeah. So why have we lost these disciples then? Well, uh, you know, have we, you know, kind of just turned Christianity into into worship? You know, that it's it's just about worship. Have we turned our home groups, let's say, into a way of keeping people? That the, 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 the following, that what we've not done, we've not practised what I would call the Eli Samuel moment. Tell me more. Uh, the Eli Samuel moment. So basically kind of Samuel, the boy Samuel, mm-hmm. sleeping. Did you call me? He gets up. Did you call me? No, no, go back to bed, says Eli. Did you call me? No, 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 go back to bed. Did you call me? Oh, my goodness. It must be the Lord. This is what you say when the Lord calls you. A fundamental part of Christianity, I believe, has not been practiced. And that is the fact that God calls us and um, God nudges us and prompts us. And we can see this in the life of Jesus. I only do what I see the Father do. I need to be about my father's business. 
So I call back to that intimate relationship, that nudging, that prompting, where two are gathered in my name. Mm. I'm there in the midst. So we definitely have a form of Christianity, Martin. There's no doubt about it. And there's so, and I've come from that. And I'm still part of that. So I honor it, you know, and there's a big missing piece of the jigsaw, which is about followers, yes. following the nudge and the prompt. Yes. See, what comes to mind, you sharing that, is something that my wife and I have been talking about over the past couple of days. And that is that, oh, I can't remember who actually said it, but the number of times they've met people who were so close, they've gone through all the training, and at the last second, because of free will, limited free will, whatever you want to call it, they then missed out on what God had them. They just couldn't take that final step. Would that be part of being discipled, do you think? Why does that happen? We've got this idea that when God calls us, it's going to be great. You know, the centre of God's will for you is the is the safest place. And I would go, rubbish. Absolute nonsense. The centre of God's will is the safest place. Have you not read your Bible story? No, it isn't. As soon as God calls, there's often disaster. Yeah. Often disaster. But we've not taught that. Oh, no, no, no. We've not taught, uh, taught take up the cross. You know, the, the, the possibility that the next step of faith is going to be tricky and difficult. And we need our friends around us to inject courage into us, to cheer us on and, you know, to help us, mm. you know, answer the call of God. You know, have we truly seen, I don't believe we're human beings. I think we're human becomings, becoming who we're meant to be in Christ. And unfortunately, you know, the next step of faith, you know, God is going to call you out of your comfort zone. Therefore, it's not going to feel good. The, the messaging's not right at the moment. You know, that actually the Christian life is, or following Christ, let's, let's say that, is easy. It isn't easy. It's not easy, but it's certainly great. And so for those that are disillusioned, and I meet people all the time, you know, who said they go to church, who've been doing so many things that they thought was right before God because they thought that's what God wanted them to do. And then they sort of just backslide or, or whatever you want to call it, become disillusioned. What would you say to them? Uh, well, I'd like to understand what the illusion was to start off with. Ooh. You know, to be disillusioned, you need to be illusioned in the first place. And so what was the illusion? You know, what, what, was God, what, were, you what were you thinking? What yeah. were you thinking? You know, that everything was going to be easy. Are you, are you mad? or something again have we not read our bible stories here you know this is not about middle class christianity you know this this is about actually taking up the cross now i'm not saying that there isn't joy in the midst of that but there will be difficulty you know what is it paul said he said i glory in suffering what mm. a ridiculous statement that what when was the last time we had a worship song and I glory in suffering? I don't think so. I don't <laughs> think so. It's how oh, I love you, you know, etc. No, I glory in suffering, but suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Wow. Wow. There is a depth. There is a depth, you know, to be dug there mm -hmm. in our Christian experience. 
you know, maybe, you know, when, when you asked me about Mandela before, yeah. the idea of it's through suffering, it's through brokenness, that, that God breaks us open so that we, you know, kind of are more open to the possibilities of hearing the Lord in different ways, you know, in our own lives and in the lives of other, other people. I think what you've just demonstrated to me there it's also interesting you, you quote Perseverance and Hope because that's what I was reading this very morning before joining you here. You've demonstrated to me the difference between mothering and fathering mm-hmm. because I think if I'd ask this question to a, a lovely Christian person, you know, they would say, oh, well, what we need to put, need to put their arms around them, yeah, make them a cup of tea, sit down, just pour love and grace into them. That to me is mothering, whereas you're doing, what are you thinking? <laughs> which, is, which is the fathering. So how much fathering have we lost from the church, do you think? Well, it's so interesting, Martin, that you say that, and I didn't have a father. Mm. I don't think, you know, kind of anybody has said that to me before. And that is profound. I need to kind of profoundly kind of think about, you know, that somebody who had no father then actually kind of is finding something, you know, of the missing father in the church. People need guidance. And I know we've got to be very careful. You know, I really rather like the Quakers' idea to guidance. They had something called the Clearness Committee. Clearness Committee. And if somebody had a kind of a, they didn't know what to do, you know, but they knew they had to do something, you know, a big decision to make. The Clearness Committee would gather and they would help the person make that decision by only being able to ask questions, only being able to ask questions. And I really like that. Whilst I don't want to tell somebody what to do, I do want to help them discover other possibilities that they may not have thought about by asking nice, open questions. And I think we see this with Jesus on the road to Emmaus as an example. Yes. You no, know, he, he sidles up to them and he says, what are you talking about? Which is one of the most ridiculous questions you're ever likely to hear. What are you talking about? How ridiculous. You know, he's just come from hell. He's just come from hell. Yeah. Yeah. He's got two holes in his hands and a wound in his side. What are you talking about? And so they say how ridiculous that question is by saying, are you the only person in the whole of Jerusalem who doesn't know about these things? So then Jesus does the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. No, he doesn't. He says, what things? You see, that's clearness. That's the clearness committee. What things? It doesn't have to be a deeply you know, intellectual question. It needs to be an insightful question because Jesus was digging for the lock. He was digging for the the place that they'd frozen. And in, in that case, on the road to Emmaus, the place that they'd frozen was when they said, we had hoped. We had hoped. And Martin, all I'll say to you is, underneath most of the locks is that. We had hoped. It's broken dreams. It's broken illusions. You know, this dis- disillusionment with the church. Yeah, it's broken dreams. But Jesus would not leave them where they are. He pursues. He pursues. And so today, we as disciples need to pursue people. 
because we are here for a purpose. We're here for a purpose. You know, we're the only ones with the fingerprints. We're the only ones with the faces that we have. We are here in 2023 for a purpose. And without you giving of what it is that God has given you to give to the world, there is no other piece of the jigsaw, only you for that which God has given to you. And so Jesus pursues, and therefore we need our disciples back, not to tell people what to do, but to help people discover who they are in Christ. Do you know, your life story and my life story, and I'll tell you off air, it's so similar in so many ways. And one thing that's been so good for me is that when I eventually became that reluctant Christian, even before I did, I was able to ask questions and I was never shot down. Never. You know, they always had time for me thinking, he's rough diamond in the making, we'll keep going, we'll answer his questions, he's going to work it out. Whereas now I just get the feeling that if you go to church, in some churches, not all of them, and you start asking these questions, you're considered to be, oh, he's going to be a troublemaker. We don't want him. Would I be right or wrong, do you think, on that today in church? Well, it's really interesting because the work that I do in schools has moved to more of a dialogic approach. So what I mean by that mm. is to dialogue rather than what we've got in churches at the moment is you've got the expert approach, which is you've got the expert at the front who thinks everybody, you know, needs more information. You know, that's what they need. They need more information. I'm going to download into these empty vessels. And that's how we've created our churches. You know, very often the experts at the front, you know, all the experts are at the front, the expert worship group, the expert preacher. Now, I'm not against those things, you know, because that's how I've been brought up. So I do not say that that isn't important. But this dialogic approach, this Socratic approach, mm -hmm. this rabbinic approach has gone missing. And just because we've been inherited attendance Christianity, um, just because we're a generation that has only had that thing, I think a number of us are thinking about, you know, when people are not, you know, kind of voted with their feet, you know, against Christianity, maybe it's not the message maybe it's the way we're actually delivering the message which might actually be you know what god is calling a new generation of christians to and so the idea of questions being a way forward jesus asked 308 questions in the gospels oh really wow but he was only asked 181 which is the most ridiculous mathematical ratio you are ever likely to hear. What is the Son of God? What is God doing asking questions of human beings? What, what on earth is going on there? Now, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. He did a lot of preaching. There's no doubt about that. But his interactions on a one-on-one -on -one basis appear to be Q&A. Yeah, yeah. question and answer yeah and yet we've not been taught that so yeah so there are plenty of people disillusioned outside of church but you know for me it's what, what was your illusion in the first place what, what, what's what, what's going on 
Why, why have you walked away? Stay in the game. Brilliant answer. Thank you. Okay, I've just written down one word since we started because I think you were alluding to it and that was implementation. So because I've written it down, what were you referring to regarding that word, please? Well, I go to many churches around the world, uh, brilliant people, brilliant people um, sat in the pews, brilliant clergy, church leaders. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I genuinely, you know, believe that, you know, God has given us everything that is required to extend the kingdom of God in our generation. We have it. Brilliant people. Yes. However, very often we spend so much time talking about what, what we are going to do rather than actually implementing that which we say we're going to do. And, you know, nobody's ever going to criticise a church leader who keeps their congregation flat in terms of, well, I get got, had 50 last year, we've lost some, we've gained some, got 50 this year, i.e., you know, kind of the extension of the kingdom of God needs a vision and an implementation plan and then to implement it. I don't want to spend too much time on the plan. I do want to spend time on the implementing of it. Mm -hmm. So have we lost our apostles? Have we lost the people who can go, yeah, 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 you concentrate on that bit over there. I'm going to extend into this territory, into this area. And those people tend to be the most awkward of people and tend to be the holy discontents, you know, the frustrated, you know, people. And they've not been, you know, kind of engaged at all. And so they've walked away. Mm -hmm. They've walked away. So what do we do about it? Well, you know, we, we seek, you know, the disillusioned, you know, both inside and outside the church. We look for the frustrated. We look for the people who are not happy with the status quo. And we engage them in implementing something that they see. Which is? Which is whatever God has given them to do. You know, stop waiting for other people to do things. And what has God given you to do? And we cheer them on. We encourage them. We surround them. We, we believe in them, you know, before they start to believe in themselves yeah sounds to me like facilitating which is what it's all about really get someone in to do a job let them do it encourage them but let them do it and then you can then find someone else to do something else yeah yeah and you know one of the locks of course is that you know if you think as you're the church leader that you have to do everything that everything has to come through you then that's a lock, isn't it? Mm. That's a, that is a lock. But if you change your model that you're you're trying to help every member of the congregation to become who they're possible to become, and you're you're constantly asking the following, you know, the following question: How would I know if a member of my congregation has moved on in their relationship, you know, with God? You know, so we're constantly, you know, wanting to see people not stay the same but develop you know in their faith journey yes well all i can say michael is that i thought we were going to have a, an interesting conversation on this and then we we'll spend the rest of the time talking about god and the big bang project and maybe in some ways endorsing what you've been saying you know just roll with it see what happens see where god wants it to go but 
it would only be fair, I think, in, in one minute, if that's all right, before we get to who your Christian hero is, in one minute, basically tell us about the Golden Big Bang project, please. Um, yes, it started about 10 years ago with a phone call once again from the Diocese of Manchester saying, would you demonstrate the compatibility of science and faith? Having no science background whatsoever, of course, I said, yep, yeah, I'll have a go at that. And 10 years later, we're in around about 70 schools every year, see about 5,000 uh, children between the ages of 9 to 18. And we take scientists of faith into schools and we just have a, have a day talking about the compatibility of science and faith. And the day ends with a question time and it becomes one of the greatest apologetics for the Christian faith I have ever seen. I, I produce the events, but they're, they're brilliant times. And, you know, for me, it just kind of shows, you know, we have youngsters out there who've never been to church. They don't know that much about Christianity and yet they are great observers of the world. And, you know, we know we've made some progress with them when we get questions like, how would I know that God is real? Once we get to that point, we know actually kind of, that's a really great question. That is a really great question. Yeah. A question for all of us. Well, can I just say, having looked at your website on this, and perhaps you could, at the very end, give us more details on how people can find out on the website. It's great. You've got videos there of scientists who are also Christians explaining why they do it. And to see genuinely kids there wanting to learn, it, it is a fantastic website. So perhaps you give a, a plug at the very end for that, please. But time is eluding us yet again to say we've got to finish. So thank you so much, Michael, for what you shared today. It's, it's been fascinating. I've, I personally have taken so much encouragement for what you've said. As I said earlier on, I can see so much of what's been going on in my life sort of running parallel with yours so it's been a great encouragement thank you but i always end uh, the show with asking the guest to talk about who their christian hero is and it always has to be prefaced with the fact that your christian hero has to be dead so that we can't say oh yeah years to go oh well look what happened to that person subsequently so who is your christian hero well there are so many that one could pick from you know kind of personally it's a guy called Frank, who was my spiritual father that I that I mentioned. But I think the the one that's almost been my companion for the past ten years or so is John Wesley. And the reason he's my companion is because he also was a was a holy discontent. He also had to, you know, kind of he looked at the church and got and went, no, no, there's something missing here. And he, he went around the country really with a new practice. He called it a method, but it was a spiritual practice. And when I looked at it and, and I looked at what he said uh, with the four questions that must always be asked when Christians meet, they resonate so much and they are so out of sync with where we are you know, today in Christianity. Mm. The four questions that must always be asked so here's the, there's about 20 questions you could ask, but these four must always be asked. And, you know, question one was, what sins have you committed since last time we met? I mean, try that one now. You know, try that one at your local church on Sunday. What sins have you committed <laughs> since last time we met? Question number two was, how have you resolved those sins? Question number three was, what might be a sin? 
you know, that we could, you know, that you, that's still ongoing right now that we could discuss right now. Now, I, I won't go into the go into the fourth, but you get the idea that essentially, you know, I think what's happened to our generation is we've we've gone from what's wrong with me to what's wrong with the world. So that idea that sin could be, let, let's call it missing the mark, missing the mark. It yeah. comes from Hamata Hatta. So this idea of archery term where we're missing the target, we're missing the bullseye. We've all got that stuff kind of going on, but we don't take it that seriously. But Wesley did want to take it seriously. And I want to take it seriously. And that's why my first book was called Unlocking the Growth, i.e. we miss the mark, different metaphor. We lock things down. And I think Wesley and his generation noticed a frustration you know, that he had within him and then was driven by a call to actually make the change in his generation. And, and I rather like that, you know, that actually kind of, you know, you can be called by God. You are going to go through difficulties and trials and it isn't going to be easy. However, there is a prize at the end, uh, which is that you be, you're able to, you know, walk, you know, with the Lord as you're actually kind of doing it. Yeah. And that must be one of the most beautiful things to do in life. I've said this before because uh, another person chose John Wesley in uh, episodes gone by. And uh, I was going through a phase where I used to really enjoy reading biographies. And one biography I read was about John Wesley. And, oh, boy, <laughs> he had some flaws. He couldn't understand women for a start. Mm. Yet he wanted to have that perfect wife. Yeah, you know, but he just oh, it's, it would make a, a great and I say sadly it would make a great comedy. Yeah, it yeah. really would because it's so sad. Yeah, and I think this is this is the great thing. You know, God uses flawed individuals and has always used flawed individuals, and that's the grace. You know, that's the grace of God. You know, and you know that's the beauty of Christianity. That you know where wherever we are, God wants a relationship. He wants to walk with us. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much indeed, Michael. For people that have been listening today, have been challenged, obviously, let's talk about your books so they can get hold of them. But if they want to get a hold of you personally and ask you questions, how can they do it, sir? Yeah, my email address is michael at unlockingthegrowth.com. Uh, that's michael at unlockingthegrowth.com. That's all one word, unlocking the growth. I have a an Acorn Faith Facebook page, which has got um, lots of uh, people practicing something called ACON, which we didn't talk about today, which is kind of the belt and braces approach to invitation. Uh, we have God and the Big Bang. If you just Google that, you'll find, you know, the website, you know, kind of th uh, through that. And my books are available at all uh, Christian bookstores or book organizations and also on the normal Amazon ones as well. Thank you. And where is Michael Harvey going to be going in the next few months, do you think, book-wise or otherwise well i'm certainly kind of uh, continuing my travels around the world so i'm doing a tour of scotland in october and a tour of, of the uh, alberta in um, november and i'm out and about in the uk in uh, before that so yeah i'll be all over the place and for those living in scotland or want to go to scotland i take it if they go onto uh, a website they might be able to find all the, the dates where you're speaking that will be right it certainly will be coming up shortly. But again, if somebody in Scotland does want to know when that is, please uh, contact me uh, via my email address. 
Michael Harvey, thank you so much for the time today. It's been, uh, well, for me anyway, phenomenal hearing what you've been saying. It's been a source of great encouragement for me. So, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Martin.